G'day and welcome to another episode of Egg Watchers. Uh, my name's Chris Lawson. I'm from CRU uh, at Vert Watcher, which is not my Twitter handle. I don't have Twitter because I'm not, not daring enough to go into the cesspit of that that, that is. Um, and I'm here today uh, with the Wheat Watcher, Andrew Whitelaw, and the Meat Watcher, Doug Leash. Mm, How's that? Matt had to handle Meat Watcher long before he got interested in agriculture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an unfortunate one, that one, isn't it? Mainly from the anyway, nightclubs yeah. you frequent. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> so, Chris, it's been a, been a while since you've you've been on. I reckon about five months or so. You're you're probably last on when fertilizers are actually exciting. Well, I mean. They're 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 still exciting. Just because they're going down rather than up mean doesn't mean they're not exciting anymore. But yeah, um the world's not gonna yeah. run out of food now. You know? That's true. That's true. We never really thought that was quite gonna happen. I, but I, um I did get a journalist yeah. on Thursday who was asking about fertilizer and saying so if high fertilizer prices and in, inability to access from Russia, are we gonna run out of food in the next two or three years? Yeah. Nah, we yeah. should be fine. But, but anyway. Are we gonna let are we gonna do are we yeah. gonna do the six cents as well? We'll let him of off the hook given no, he's a regular No, nah, we're gonna make it even harder. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, okay. Um because just because Chris, I think you're probably our most regular podcast guest. He would be. I think Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's a great honor if that is the case. I believe I believe you are. Um we generally don't get people on more than once or twice. After they've been on twice, they usually say no chance of my going on there again. My boss, or they'll say my boss won't let me on again. So <laughs> generally, that's the the reason. Um, yeah. So you don't get let off lightly. Okay. So straight into the sixth sense. Matt? All right, hit me. <clears throat> Trump 2024. He's been impeached. Uh, yes, has been impeached, but nothing's really stopped him before. So I would say... The temperature, like the the kind of checking the temperature here in the US, I would say more likely to happen than what you might think overseas. As in run, as in him running for it again. Yeah, and potentially getting it. I wouldn't wouldn't write that off at all. Mm. Favorite film. Pulp Fiction. Best alcoholic beverage. Uh, Cooper's Pale Ale. Very specific. Mm. Typical yeah. South Australian. Mm-hmm. Favorite non-alcoholic beverage. <laughs> uh, currently, diet ginger ale. Diet ginger ale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could mix it together with Cooper's pale ale and create one of those little <laughs> snake bite or something. What about um? Yeah, that would the, be too bad. Given you're in the US and you're, what about the prospect of US recession? Uh, I think it's fairly <clears throat> likely, but it will be a relatively mild one. You kind of you go around the city here in, in New York. It doesn't look like anyone's curbing their spending too much, but things are pretty darn expensive. And there's a bit of bit of a wobble in the economy at the moment with the the kind of mild banking panic that we're seeing at the moment. Mm. So yeah, I think there will be a recession, but it's not going to be one that's too harsh. U.S. immigration policy, one that is close to my heart. <laughs> is that okay? <laughs> oh, because of uh, certain certain passport issues uh yeah I'm, I'm actually going through a visa renewal process at the moment and it is a total pain in the backside um so 
yeah, not not great, but uh, I would say that anywhere around the world at the moment are making it very difficult to to get in. I think the world has taken a, a backward step when it comes to freedom of movement and, and migration and even just holidaying from one place to another. Exactly. So, no, last time you were on, I think you had a broken leg, a broken knee. I, any, I had any I, recent breaks. I know there's been some changes to you from a familiar point of view. Yeah, I uh, no. When it, last time we spoke, or maybe we spoke once since then, but I'd uh, it ruptured my patella tendon playing basketball. Uh, so that's all fixed now, thankfully. I'm not not back on the court yet. Um, but uh, yeah, all all is good, and yeah, got an addition to the family and a, a little boy, Oscar, who was born at the end of January. So that's been that's been keeping me busy uh, over the past few months. Right on. So, what's happened with fertilizer? Uh, prices have come down quite significantly, and uh, much more than what we had anticipated. Pretty much what what everyone had anticipated. I think uh, nitrogen prices. We, I think it, it's actually quite timely. We're doing this this episode now because it was basically this time last year where fertilizer yeah. prices peaked. It was, you know, we're kind of a month after what, one year, one month uh, after a year of uh, Russia invading Ukraine. Um, so we had that run up in fertilizer and commodity prices over the course of March 2022. And yeah, we've, we saw relatively high prices through most of last year, but over these past six months or so, uh, we've seen a, a drastic decline in, in fertilizer prices and you know, a number of different commodities. Uh, Gas prices have obviously come down quite a lot. That's it's a key input and key driver of, of fertilizer prices. So nitrogen is three times cheaper than what it was this time last year. Mm. And some benchmarks, are, uh, the Middle Eastern benchmark, which is key for Australia, is now under $300 FOB on a US, US dollar basis. And yeah, this time last year, it was pushing $900. Uh, yeah. Phosphate prices and potash prices are uh, down... Also, not quite as significantly as, as nitrogen. Um, they're they're around kind of half the price of what they were this time last year. Is it all that input input prices coming off, Chris, or is it was there an element of that decline in pricing, also uh, you know, reductions in demand? Yeah, yeah, demand reduction has been a big big story. Um, again, we saw cuts across nitrogen, phosphates, and potash across the world last year. So that's certainly helped uh, to bring prices down supply hasn't been anywhere near as bad as what people had anticipated uh we've still had quite a lot of product that's been able to get out of russia russia actually in 2022 exported more urea than what it did in in 21 uh exported more phosphate fertilizers as well it did it did export less potash and some other kind of nitrates fertilizers but the most part we've we've seen Russia being able to continue to ship product out. So that's certainly helped with supply. There's been some new projects that have come online and producers have very much had the incentive to uh, ramp up their production because prices that, have been really that, good and their margins have been great. Does that mean that we're just crap at applying sanctions to countries or the fact that they were able to increase the volumes? It's a pretty sensitive one, Matt, when you when we're thinking about food and, and all the you know the uh, the doom and gloom that we heard around food prices last year and the risk around that. You know, there, there's been a really concerted push by the UN to make sure that Russia can is still there and able to to export agricultural goods and you know fertilizers is has kind of played into that. 
Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, we're bad at sanctions. Um, if you're kind of looking at the oil market, which is a bit more heavily sanctioned, then you could say in, in some instances, yeah, they have been because it's it's pretty well, clear that there's well, Russian oil getting getting all over the world. Well, we must be reasonably good at sanctions against Russia because they're using it as a bargaining chip for the next round of negotiations for the grain export corridor. They're saying they'll only give it 60 days unless they start to soften the sanctions. So if it wasn't affecting them, they wouldn't be bothered. I, I think that's, that is... that's more of the financial sanctions than commodity sanctions. Yeah, so what it's 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 quite interesting. On it's it's very relevant for us in fertilizers because one of the things that they are citing a lot in these kind of continued negotiations on the grain deal is their ability to export ammonia. Hmm. Um, again, that's the key kind of intermediate in, in nitrogen fertilizer production. It's used in different chemicals industries all around the world. Um, Russia is well was the largest exporter of ammonia before. Uh, the war in Ukraine, they haven't really been able to export since then because they don't actually have any ports in Russia that can handle this, ammonia. They have to they have the export which, through Ukraine. That's the thing I was going to ask. It does go through yeah. Ukraine ammonia, doesn't it? And that's yeah, there's a pipeline uh, that passes through eastern and southern Ukraine uh, that takes it to basically Odessa port. Hmm. Um, so that's where that's always that's for a long time been a key kind of ammonia trading hub. So so Russia's really keen to get that open again and continue to use that as a bargaining chip. Yep. Um, quite frankly, the whole probably doesn't need all that much Russian ammonia at the moment because prices in that market have completely tanked over the last couple of months. Um, so yeah, we, we had prices that were around $1,500 a ton and, and are now below 400 for some benchmarks. And, so. And so, so you said urea is back at you know 300 mm -hmm. US dollars in Middle East? Yep. Yeah, urea is actually cheaper now than what it was in 2021. Yeah. So that means so it's beyond two year low. We're probably talking about Aussie dollar terms off the top of my head, probably below $600 a ton replacement value into Australia. I believe so. We'd have to update that but model right of yours, about. Andrew. But yeah, I I'll, wouldn't I'll say not, that would be I'll too not, far I'll off. Not, I'll not hold you against it. You know, we're not, yeah. <laughs> we're not like that. We're not going to say Chris said this. But around Didn't I hear that. you say in a podcast the other day you don't make numbers up of? Up in your head off the spot like other people do. <laughs> well, yeah. 90, 95.6% of statistics are made up on this. <laughs> I think it's 95.7. Yeah, it's a runabout there. Mm. But, but roughly, approximately $600 a ton, which is a far cry, like you say, from, you know, probably around at some points, the replacement value was $1,100, $1,200 into Australia mm. last year. Yeah. Retail price is another 200 on top of that. Yeah. So, Again, it's probably good timing as as farmers are coming into that seeding window. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and there is a, it's again, it's it's quite interesting watching fertilizer demand around the world this year. You've you've had fertilizer prices come off, and commodity prices have have stayed relatively robust. So we we look at kind of a fertilizer affordability ratio. That's kind of back down to more normal acceptable levels. levels. Um, but one thing that we've seen is there hasn't been the the buying that many of the distributors and, and retailers had perhaps expected. There's still a little bit of uh, farmers are still a little bit standoffish on on paying for fertilizer, and part of, part of the reason for that is because prices are coming down, so they're they're waiting for their moment to to buy. That may create some issues in the supply chain if everyone comes in at the same time and 
Mm. Uh, perhaps there's a, a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, but um, yeah, we, we haven't seen demand really pick up yet. And again, part of the reason for that as well is because you know it's a very, very seasonal market. Lots of the the product that's in the the kind of uh, end of the supply chain there before you know at, at that retail level before farmers buy it you know was bought at a, a pretty high cost. Yeah. Um. So that's it's it's certainly a challenging business environment for some of those retailers at the moment to try and you know reflect and because because the that's values of, that we see at the moment because that's yeah, one of the arg- that's one of the arguments used is that there's uh, we got to sell what we got in store before we. Mm-hmm. reflect overseas values which is interesting because yeah. most other commodities don't get that benefit yeah and it really only happens the price starts to fall down as soon as competitors start to bring in new cargos which is what, mm-hmm. we're, what we're starting to see in australia yes which is, which is yeah good. yeah and, and i would say that you know over the years the australian market has become much more competitive um you know over the last kind of 10 to 20 years you've seen a lot more distributors come into that market uh, because it was a, a pretty appealing one for them to come into. The the margins for selling fertilizer in Oz were, were really good. So I've seen a number of international have players you, come in there. Some of them have gone out. Commentators, but... commentators and analysts putting pressure on that particular sector in Australia probably helps to to, to you know, bring that price more in line with the global values, I, I suppose, as well. I think it definitely does the, the kind of, yeah, transparency that that kind of commentary brings and, you know, being able to, you know, reference certain international benchmarks you know it, it does really help with the conversation and you know it gives the the buyers a bit more power i guess definitely uh quick one for you. you you mentioned that margins were pretty strong in australia over the over in the previous past do you still think those are strong margins compared to the rest of the world these days i don't i don't really know to be honest from a at the kind of <laughs> retail level it's it's harder to to track that from our, our end we look at things from a you know a producer yep. you know asset margin level um and australia is you know it, it's competitive but it's certainly not down the bottom of a of a cost curve yeah. um australia's a relatively expensive place to to do business so um but yeah that that kind of retail level it's it's really hard for me to say what we what we found from our what do we call it our other enterprise at episode three with the community based mm. data uh, provision. And uh, we, we found that they, it was pretty consistent across the country and that the difference between what we call that replacement cost and the retail price that farmers got encoded at port was pretty mm. consistent around the country, about, you know, 14 to 15% margin on top. Mm. And that's, to me, doesn't seem that, and this is the thing, this is what we find really interesting is I don't think that's bad. I don't think that's gouging at all. And, but we still get, you know, concern from some players in the fertilizer industry for talking about it. But in our view, the more we've actually looked at it, we've actually seen Mm. it's relatively consistent and relatively fair valued, but they still don't like to be talking about it. Yeah. And I I guess that, that, Attitude will, will hopefully change over time as you know the market evolves. Will. There is a bit more transparency there, and again, there's there's more the, the competition level kind of wavers a little bit. You know, it, fertilizers, I would say, is I don't think that too many people in the industry would disagree with me when I say it's still a little bit old school. Um, yeah. And there's there's elements of it that can can modernize. And there's again, that's kind of 
I guess fits into that narrative that that kind of old school way. Old school way, you know, um, a bit of you know price fixing that type of stuff. I would definitely would call it. Right? <laughs> but, but as you as you say, Andrew, you know, I, I nearly um, caught him, Matt. I nearly caught. Yeah, him. you nearly got him there. Nearly got him. <laughs> <laughs> nice try, guys. Nice try. But I mean, I mean I'm I'm curious, guys. Since I can I can ask something, Chris? Is, well, can I ask my question first? I uh, just just a quick one. I just want to ask: Is okay. is, is CRU paying you enough? Because <laughs> I, I noticed the lights have gone off. The lights just went out. Yeah, yeah. I'm in my uh, common area of uh, the building that I live in, and the lights are just gone out. So I'm not sure. That's no, like on one there. of those. Uh, is it one of those buttons you press to? Um, you it's like, like, a, it's like ta- those, a timed public, one. Those public toilets, the five minutes. It goes off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to move good. around a bit more to get the sensor. No, look. Sensor. I was just thinking. It's just thinking. It kind of reminds me of like watching the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> oh, I can see yeah. Chris's face. It's a little bit scary. Um, I keep right up. You keep yeah, flashing well, on and off. Um, go on to your question. I, I was I was, was going to ask. So with the with your kind of initiative that, that you guys put out there with the you know submit your fertilizer pricing. How, how did you guys find the the uptake of that? Was it around what you expected? Look, it's, pro- it's probably um, more than we expected. There's a couple yeah. of a couple of hundred uh, respondents. I think mm-hmm. we'll probably what we'll try and do is every quarter. You're gonna have to, yeah. yeah we have to keep plugging it because you get that mm-hmm. initial flurry of, of responses, but then we'll it's probably, not something that stays top of mind. What we'll probably do mm-hmm. is re- refine it a bit more, refine the questions, yeah. um, and then just every quarter to see. And this is obviously we'll probably put it out. Might put it out today actually. Uh, mm-hmm. refresh it and just put it out again just so we can s- sort of get every quarter an idea of mm-hmm. what people are are sort of finding an interesting yeah. one was that uh, i was told the fbn were looking to do exactly the same thing in australia mm-hmm. however they don't have the, the staying power of episode three <laughs> <laughs> we might we might rebrand every two, two or three years, but at least we're still here. Right? Well, at least at least we've got like now we've got a consistent name, so it'll be like episode mm. four, five, yeah. six. We we'll just keep going. But well, no, you guys it... also backed by a number of kind of global venture capital firms, and you know, rolling in the the, the venture money, or is like uh, well, like FBNR? Or... No, well we we we're sweat equity. No, <laughs> we've upgraded our we've upgraded our regenerative um, status into AI now. We're just yeah, moving right. across into AI because that's where you know that's where all the I money's heading. I so gen- I genuinely about. couldn't believe that chat GPT. I so I've been playing around with that chat. You've you know that chat GPT thing. Oh, it's very hard to to miss it at the moment. Everyone's talking. Everyone, about everyone's it. talking about. It. Have you played with it? <clears throat> no, it's pretty good. Like I asked, like. You can ask things like, "What is driving the fertilizer prices higher?" and it gives you a pretty good result. Like it gives you <laughs> like an A4 page analysis of it. But I put into yeah. it, uh, "Tell me a Scottish joke," and I was yeah. a bit, I was a bit taken aback by this one. Uh, why do Scottish men wear kilts? Why? Because, because sheep can hear a zip from a mile away. <laughs> I was like, okay. oh, yeah, that's a bit savage. That's... Yeah. Then I... It is the singularity coming. They're starting off with insulting racial stereotypes of, you know, yeah. sheep fondling. So... Yeah, I thought it was more the Welsh that were accused of the sheep fondling rather than the Scottish. Or, but Or the I New guess. Zealanders. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Right. Oh, so let's just get back to the proper stuff, the fertilizer. Uh, Australian production, yeah? 
there's been talk of a whole bunch of new facilities open up. Have you heard anything more mm -hmm. about them? No, this I mean it's a it's a long process. These these are these are not um projects that are built overnight and they're not projects that attract funding overnight. There are there are a lot of different uh permitting and, and financing hurdles that, that need to gone through and have in some instances these projects have gone through quite a few of them. We we do include them in our kind of base case for, for twenty twenty seven production. Yeah. Um but again, they're still, they're not kind of home and hose yet, I would say. There's still a, yeah. a long way to go you, for those. Because you would have thought, like, in terms of getting funding, the most exciting time to fund it would have been, like, the last year, as prices were high. That would have made it attractive. Yeah. But do yeah, you think, it, it do you definitely think, would have been. Do you think there's a, a risk that, you know, I think we saw it in, like, 2008, there was a lot of funding mm -hmm. of new facilities. A yeah. bit like there was a lot of funding of, like, new bulk cargo ships. Mm-hmm. And then they take four or five years to build, and then there's suddenly a glut on a market. Do you yep. think we're going to see a glut in the market of fertilizers in like the mid 2020s, mid to late? towards not, the end, end of the decade type thing? Yeah, not necessarily because I think commodity companies have learned their lesson this time around, and mm -hmm. you know that could be a fertilizer producer, it could be one of the big behemoth miners that are that are out there. They are being, I would say, you know, post this kind of cycle of the last you know, 12, 24 months, they're, they're being much more disciplined with their capital. There have been a lot of you know uh, returns back to, to shareholders. Um, there's still some investment going on in, in projects. There's still some M&A activity that's, that's going on, and we're seeing a bit more M&A activity in, in fertilizers right now. But there, lots of these projects that are out there have still really struggled to to get you know the, the final tranches of financing to you know, really lock that project in we haven't seen you know a, a big wave of of that kind of happening quite yet lots of the projects that are out there have been kind of dusted off the shelves and uh, marketed around a little bit more but we haven't seen a huge amount of them actually yeah getting to that, that final stage so i don't think and we don't don't have this in our, our forecast at all that you know we're going to see drastic oversupply and that you know i kind of five or six years time there's still going to be you know, a reasonable amount of supply out there um so yeah that's kind of how we're seeing that and again it's it's interesting to kind of focus here on fertilizers but like i said before you you're seeing that in some of the mined commodities as well um mm. and yeah like like copper and again there's a there's a really positive demand story there in in some of those metals and you know with with the mining companies being a bit more conservative, perhaps you're seeing, you're starting to see some other kind of newer entrants to mining and commodity markets starting to step in, like auto manufacturers are starting to actually, uh, you know, have significant shares in, in new uh, developing mines because they, they need the supply there. So, vertical integration sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's partly vertical integration, but it's also just, hey, we, we know we're going to need these critical minerals in the next kind of five, 10, 15 years, and we're not seeing the projects being invested in yet. So they're taking a bit of a risk in going yeah. into in injecting quite a lot of capital into markets they don't really understand very well, purely because they, yeah, they just don't, I don't believe that the supply is going to be there and there is going to be those shortfalls. So it's, hmm. it's a kind of interesting dynamic that we're seeing in commodity markets at the moment post the, these kind of very high prices over the last couple of years. What about the, uh, if, if we start to look again, the other big driver over the next couple of years, 
by the end of this decade will be the sort of the green climate change type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Fertilizer's a big emitter. What's the impact mm-hmm. of these sort of green policies going to be on? Are we going to see truly green fertilizer? It's a great question, one that we, we do spend a lot of time looking at. So are we going to see green fertilizer? Are people going to pay a premium for green fertilizer? We find that a little more difficult to mm. we find that difficult to to believe. I mean, look at nitrogen, for example. The urea is the most common form of nitrogen fertilizer around the world. You need CO two to manufacture urea. Um, you know, you you're basically combining ammonia and CO two together to get a urea granule. Um, so if you're then producing ammonia without CO two, then you've all of a sudden got to change the the form of nitrogen fertilizer and that you know creates a, a whole kind of raft of issues and a lot of changes in farmer behaviors that are needed so we don't necessarily think we're going to see a, a big kind of uptake in, in greener fertilizers necessarily there is a lot of momentum in the industry again we talk, we're talking a lot more about ammonia uh, at the moment that's being considered you know ammonia is a molecule that carries nh uh, so it carries hydrogen. There's lots of talk around the hydrogen economy at the moment and ammonia being you know, essentially the way that you carry hydrogen across the world. Um, there's talk of ammonia being used as a marine fuel um, you know, rather than your, your various different kind of dirty oils um, that, that are out there. So, yeah, there, there's much more kind of attention in the fertilizer space at the moment on some of those alternative markets and you know, greening them up rather yeah. than necessarily greening the fertilizer industry up. And that's, that's just, creating a lot of interesting tension in the industry. Just staying on that kind of European situation for the moment, do you think like with the move away from Russia as a key supplier of gas and fuels to Europe um, because of what's been happening in Ukraine and that doesn't look like it's kind of slowing or stopping in any way into mm-hmm. the near term, do you think that kind of redirection of, of demand from Europe now, is that going to be... A structural shift in how they operate, you know, particularly countries like Germany, say that used to be so reliant and now switched away pretty pretty aggressively. Um, you know, if, if things were to normalise somewhat, um, uh, you know, in the Ukraine scenario, um, and you know, do you think Europe would go back to that Russian kind of supply chain, or do you think that's that's pretty much done and dusted now? Pretty hard to believe that they would go back to to the level of reliance that they mm. did i think they've they've learned their lesson big time and that and gas is the the main commodity there they were just so reliant on you know russian pipeline gas um and what's been really impressive you know with european gas markets is that i mean it's partly impressive in, in the way that they've been able to diversify their supply pretty quickly they've you know paid through the nose for for lots of that gas through most of 2022 and then they've been i'd say probably really fortunate uh, and lucky over over the winter to, to have a relatively mild winter and they haven't had to use as much gas as what they would normally they've obviously cut back on some of their industrial production as well which has uh, helped to reduce gas use they've they've switched to using other hydrocarbons as well they've actually you know, they're using a lot more coal at the moment which is again kind of goes very much against lots of the green policies that we're seeing at the moment so yeah we we don't think that russia is going to Oh, sorry, Europe's going to go back to its. It's relied on Russia. There's a lot of uh, policy initiatives that are going on at the moment to 
green up the the European economy, lots of you know carbon border adjustment mechanisms and and things like that that are that are in place. They're, they're super big on on the hydrogen economy, you know, and that's you know we don't necessarily think that is that is not a, a low cost approach at all. Um, so that, that it is going to cost them a lot of money um, to to make lots of these changes and diversify away from Russia and yeah become kind of less carbon intensive. And ironically, I guess, um, given the Europeans, you know, desire to move towards a greener outlook with 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 a lot of their policy, the the reason they didn't use as much gas is because of climate change making it a milder winter. So they didn't. So maybe maybe the climate change factor has helped them out in that instance. Maybe it's yeah. I mean, I guess you've always got to be careful when relating kind of you know. Annual seasonal weather, weather variability weather, to weather the climate, and climate change. are very different things, Matt, as you know. Yeah. Yes. Weather and climate. I was probably being a little bit facetious, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> this, is you were, Matt. this is a serious podcast, <laughs> Matt. Hey, but speaking of which, we are coming into quotation marks spring, summer in New Europe. Uh, will that start to see gas prices start to take another slide, or are we sort of sitting at the levels where we would expect it to be? Because it's sort of back to pre-invasion levels now, isn't it? Gas it is, yeah, yeah. So we don't we see them kind of relatively flat over the remainder of of the year, you know, kind of averaging around fifteen dollars an mm BTU. That's still really expensive, like compared to other parts of the world. And in, in the US, you know, you're looking at kind of gas that's anywhere between two to four dollars an mm BTU. So it's it's really expensive in in Europe still compared to other parts of the world, but it's much much lower than what it was last year. They've been able to fill their storage, um, and that will help them kind of that will help to you know maintain a relative kind of cap on prices. There's still going to be you know a bit of volatility. There's still a lot of supply risk there. One of the the interesting things that lots of people in the the kind of energy and gas markets looking out for at the moment is just how much. LNG China sucks in with mm. its, um, you know, reopening. That's been a bit more slow than what I think many people had, in, had kind of anticipated in terms of the impact on commodities. But we're starting to see now them them take a lot more LNG, and that will provide more competition for Europe when they do have to come back for tons in, in the second half of the year. So still a bit of risk there. What about speaking of China? What about the? Uh, I know you don't like it, but the. Uh quote-unquote ban on other <laughs> exports mm-hmm. as what's what's happening there what's the are they back to exporting well they never stopped exporting they but they, but they limited they, volumes they did limit volumes there's there's no doubt about that but they never completely stopped um the restrictions are still in place <clears throat> um but they're you know they're getting volume out um and yeah, it, I mean, at the moment, if you're a Chinese nitrogen producer, the prices dictate that it's actually better to sell in, in your domestic market than internationally. Mm-hmm. So there's some kind of you know, global opportunities that are just kind of lacking for, that, for them at the what, moment. What about on, phosphates? On the phosphate side of things, you, there's that gap has closed quite significantly in terms of the premium to sell internationally over the domestic market. That's almost not existent anymore. They are still getting tons out. Again, they're not going to return to being a kind of big large ex, like the the largest exporter in the world, like they were 
a couple of years ago. Um, you know, they they were doing kind of over ten million tons just a few years ago. Last year they did a little bit over five. This year we expect them to do a bit over six. Mm. Um, so yeah, they're they're still exporting a, a decent amount, and they will export more this year. But there still are restrictions in place. Again, the main reason that the government restricted exports was because they were concerned about their domestic prices and, and yeah. them being much higher than than average. And they are still relatively high. So the government's not going to completely, you know, let the producers open up the floodgates. They're still going to be very conscious of that. What about potash? Tell us something about potash. What's potash, yeah, it's uh, similar to phosphates. We've seen prices come down uh, Bel- know, significantly Bel- from where the peak was. Because Belarus is one of the biggest exporters. Is that right? Yep. So when you think potash exports, you have to think Canada, Belarus, and Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, so Canada has, you know, increased its its supply. It's it's brought back some idle mines um, because of you know a perceived kind of shortfall in the market and, and high prices. Uh, Russia exported less last year, but you know still operating a, a relatively high rates and, and should export more this year. Return kind of close to their normal levels. Belarus is the big one. It's a you know essentially a landlocked country. They had to. Most of their exports are going out of Lithuania. Uh, with the sanctions that started in 2021, they were kind of cut off from the global markets. They couldn't export through Lithuania anymore. Um, so since then, they've been moving more product through Russia and various other routes. Uh, their exports are significantly lower. But again, they're, they're managing to get more out than what many what, What's the... When you're talking about exports, is Canada something like what 35 percent or thereabouts? Is Belarus similar levels or slightly less than that in terms of what they contribute or what they used to contribute to the world as an export yeah. proportion? Yeah. So I think in the the best year that Belarus had was around 12 million tons. Um, so it's around kind of 20 percent of the the global traded market. Um, last year, yeah, I think they would have done. Uh, and recall the number off the top of my head, kind of around four or five million tons or something like that. That'll come down uh, again a little, little bit more this year because the sanctions will be in full effect through the course of the whole calendar year. It wasn't quite the case last year. They were able to get a, a bit out in the first couple of months of the year. So again, they're, they're significantly lower exports than what uh, they had done previously. Uh, but again, they're, they're finding a way out. They're not completely out of the market. Yeah. What about the... There's... There are some new potash mines in Spain. Uh, there is one under development, uh, Highfield. There is or there is a pre-existing mine in, in Spain <clears throat> already, which is run by uh, Israel Chemicals Limited. So, um, but yeah, there's a, a company called Highfield Resources who are. Who I think so they're an Australian. They're an Australian company, right? But they're operating out of Spain. Is that? Correct. Right. Yeah, I believe they're listed on the ASX. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. And I think Adelaide's the head office or whatever it is in terms of the listing, but their functional office is in is in um, Pamplona or something. It is. Yeah, yeah. Because the mine is is near that. You could say they're Pamplona. Mm. You could say they're bullish. <laughs> <laughs> on fertilizer. <laughs> See, see, mm. not just here for my intellect. Yeah. Um. Mm. 
So, but do you think that was, was that was that was quite a saucy joke, Andrew? That was quite good. You know, I thought that I'm gonna. If, if we ever talk to those guys, we should use that one. Mm. Um, well, that's the other thing they're famous for is this is the sauce thing they do the tomatoes, don't they? Some big thing, they? yeah. Is that is that pamplona? Yeah, pamplona as well. It is, isn't it? What they do like they have this thing where they throw the tomatoes around, and all that I kind of stuff. I think they do the I balls and the another, tomatoes. I think that's another city in Spain. Is it? You reckon? I think it might be wrong. Anyway, I'll double I'll double check it when I get, get off this. Mm. So, in terms of farmers, what should they be thinking about for the next six months? Uh, oh, yeah, good question. So, I mean, we can. Well, yeah, on the nitrogen side of things, we're we're relatively close to a floor now. We think mm. in in prices that we're going to see some, you know. A, a little bit of some ups and downs um, in in prices, but we're we're not too far away from the floor. We think um, so. Yeah, it, it's probably once you've you've had a couple of months of you know these global prices being able to kind of set into the Australian markets, probably not particularly a, a bad time to buy. Uh, we still think there's a bit of downside on the phosphate and potash price front. Um, so again, I, I if you most of the the tons for for this year in the Australian growing season probably would have been committed to already. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, based on where we are projecting prices to to be over the next kind of six to twelve months, wouldn't be rushing to to lock in more product anytime soon. Mm. Anything else to add, Chris? Oh, carbon. That's what yeah. I'm about. What's what's going to be the impact in the next couple of years of these carbon markets? You, I know you guys look at it. It's not your particular area. But mm-hmm. what, are, what are you guys seeing in the... I know you mentioned that they're using more coal in mm-hmm. Europe, which means higher carbon prices yeah. as, they, mm-hmm. as they switch. But yeah. what are you thinking is going to be the impact over the next couple of years on these carbon markets on farmers? Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time looking at the carbon market in Europe. It's, it's the most mature. It's you know where there's a kind of... A relatively good regulatory framework and uh, emissions trading schemes and, and emissions cap. So that's the market that we look at the most and we think that it will help to kind of set a, a price direction globally once other markets become a bit more mature. So yeah, you've got kind of, you know, lots of the, the policy really ratcheting up in, in Europe over the coming few years with you know, emissions allowances coming down and down and down. Mm. Um, and you know, as that happens, the the kind of price of carbon, the cost of carbon is going to continue to go up and that, that is going to impact you know, raw materials like, like fertilizers. Um, mm-hmm. It's not, it's not kind of, it doesn't sit outside that policy. There was some, I think, uh, so speculation so- a few years ago <laughs> that fertilizer might be uh, kind of uh, isolated from, from these policies, but th- it's not. So fertilizer um, is so- included in the commodities that have to pay for their emissions. Yep. Yep. Do you think this is? I don't, you might not be able to answer this question, but we've had, let's call it, fifteen years in Europe of carbon projects and mm-hmm. various sequestration projects. Do you think we've got to the point where all the low-hanging fruit—I hate that term—but all the low-hanging fruit of carbon projects has been achieved, and it's going to be harder and harder to actually produce those credits, or are we still just at the tip of the iceberg? I, do, I really don't know. I don't understand that end of the market well enough to be honest we, we look at things very much from a 
what a commodity like what are the, what is the emissions footprint of a commodity producer yeah. and what is the ultimate cost for them going to be in terms of some of those mitigation options that are out there and sequestration options that are, that are out there we're not tracking that quite as closely and i know that you guys have you know really been i think rightly so shining the spotlight and some of those um more dubious projects and, and policies that, that are out there. Uh, no, not, not so much the really projects. It's, it's, it's more so much the actual... Well, schemes, I guess. It's more the risk that farmers face when they take them because yeah. farmers being sold things saying it's zero risk, whereas yeah. there's no commodity, there's no market-based mechanism Yeah, zero risk. I think as soon as someone says that, you should just turn away and, and walk out of the room. That is <laughs> just, yeah. It's the same guy selling timeshares in Costa del Sol. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, anyway, the next question I had. I had another question, but I forgot it now. Oh well. Well, I reckon we're probably close to the end. We've probably picked your brain enough. It's late at night for you. The lights are already turned off. Yeah. You know. Anything else to add before we go? Uh, no, not really, guys. I mean, yeah, just a, a pleasure to, to speak with you both again. Thanks for continuing to express some kind of interest in, in fertilizer markets. It is an important one. Uh, it's it is it, an interesting one. Have you noticed some who have not spoken about this podcast? Uh, we haven't usually done, we haven't done the manure chat like you no. usually well, would. You're, you're well, out of that business now. So. Well, that's it. Yeah, now that, now that fertilizer, fertilizer prices are back to more normal levels, we have to get out of that uh, alternative fertilizer space. <laughs> so so we, uh, we, sold the, the, we sold the pig farm just at the height, as just before the market started falling. Yeah. So we thought, you know, we'll sell we're it. Done. And then so now somebody's stuck with 6,000 odd tons of manure to deal with. Mm. So, so we don't need the any glamour of owning a, a pig farm, hey? Mm. No, Andrew misses Andrew misses the pigs, but you know. Absolutely. And I think the thing is too that now that fertilizer pricing is back to you know more normalised levels globally, we probably won't speak to you for a number of years now, Chris. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, we'll speak to you in twenty twenty seven when uh, yeah. when there's when there's a glut in the market, and we we'll say, oh, what's this about? When you said there was uh, there's not going to be a glut in fertilizers, fifty dollars a ton. Yeah. Well, I hope I can offer you guys a bit more than than fertilizer chat in the future. Yeah. But um, no, no. But, we'll, yeah. we'll, have, we'll we'll still have you as our regular guest. You know. Thank you. And yeah. um, if you if you're still not being told off by your bosses, so I don't think they listen to this to be honest. Though. So, mm. wow. Well, yeah, especially day. especially when Trump gets back in next year, we need an on the ground correspondent from you know the heart of. Of Trump territory, you can know, well, stand outside. You can go outside the Trump Tower in New York. I was going to say and... you're only about ten minutes walk from Trump Tower. Yeah, not far, not far away at all, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I, I'll be more than happy to be your uh, roving correspondent in in the US uh, to give you an update on the <laughs> the politics here. Right. Oh well, thanks for having you again, Chris. Invaluable as always, and and. Genuinely, one of the more popular podcasts guests we have because farmers love to hear about fertilizer. Mm -hmm. So, and they especially yeah. love to hear that it's coming down. So, bearer of good mm. news. Mm -hmm. I'm, it's, it warms the cockles of my heart hearing that. that that's a, at least but, yeah. five people are going to listen to this podcast. That's it. Yeah. And, so, and that's not including and Auntie Julie. Julie and your mum, Linda. So, yeah. Exactly. you know, but that's all right. 
Yeah, no, it's good. It's good to have you on. It's good. Chris is always good at bringing us back into line and focusing us back on markets when we get silly. So, so. yeah, it's the most sensible guest we have. Yeah, right. I'm not sure if I should be proud okay. of that or disappointed in it, but anyway, um, mm. thank you guys. Ardent. All right. All right. See you when you got nothing on, mate. Ciao for now.